Welcome to Estradile Illusions. We have a... I need, I've told myself before that I need to stop saying we have a really exciting guest because I tend to say it a lot, but it's honestly like it's, it's true. And with our guest today in particular, I am so super excited to have her on to talk because we've been Twitter friends for a while. Uh, she's a leader in the LGBTQ community, somebody who uh, I always find uh, her perspective va uh, valuable on all sorts of topics. And uh, we're going to dive into a lot of different topics today. So without further ado, we have Amanda Jete Knox here with us. Amanda, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Yeah. First, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm really excited to be here. And um, I am a mom and a spouse and a writer uh, and a speaker for, and many other hats um, from uh, Ottawa, Canada. So um, it's, uh, it's a it's wonderful to be talking to you. Um, our weather is perhaps almost as hot as yours right now, too. Yikes. Uh, I actually, I spend generally for a long time, uh, every June, we would go up to first to Kingston and then to Toronto for a week with my grandfather. And we would stay at his club there and go to Blue Jays games and see his Sherlock Holmes friends. So I, I'm quite familiar with summers in Ontario and it's a beautiful, beautiful, I, I've, I think the only last time I was in Ottawa was actually in August. So uh, when we were staying in uh, somewhere in Quebec and then made the drive over. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. I was about to say beautiful part of the country. Beautiful part of the continent, I guess. We're not in the same country. <laughs> That's true. Sometimes it feels like we are. <laughs> so um, for, for I, I assume, because this is a transgender-themed podcast. I assume most of our listeners know who you are, but you want to just tell us a little bit about your your family before we dive in for anyone who's comes to us for uh, other things and decided to give this one a listen. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so I am a cis woman. My pronouns are she and her. Um, so uh, I am married to a trans woman, a lovely, lovely human being named Zoe, um, and we have four children together. One of our kids is non-binary. She also goes by she, her, and also they, them, uh, and she is currently 17, um, and we also have a 23-year-old, an 18-year-old, and a 13-year-old, so our house is super busy. Um, our non-binary kiddo came out first. She came out in 2014 uh, at the age of 11. She was, um, uh, she, at the time, she hadn't really explored uh, being non-binary. She just definitely knew she wasn't a boy. So she sort of went with the language that she knew. And she said, I am a, I'm a girl. So for the first few years, she identified as a trans girl. And then later sort of let us know, you know, more like trans feminine, more on the non-binary side. Um, a year and a half after she came out, my partner came out and told me that she was also a woman. And so today our family looks a little different than it used to, uh, but we're all a lot happier. And um, we tell our story a lot because uh, I think that it's one of those stories that really shows that transition can make a family stronger, changes can make a family stronger, um, and, uh, and that you can actually be quite successful um, in your life and, uh, and happy if you have good supports around you. So that's what we try to do to sort of balance out uh, a lot of the, the harder stuff that happens in the trans community. Yeah, I, I, I've been at, um, I've attended the, the Gender Odyssey conference here in, I think it's normally in San Diego, but for the year that I went, it was in Pasadena, where um, it, it's a conference for, uh, generally speaking, for, for trans families, and uh, it's often a learning session for parents of trans kids, and they also, they put on a, a camp for uh, the trans kids and gender non-conforming kids, and it's a really... Uh, great and important space for uh, kids who, who often really don't have the greatest support systems at home or they don't see people like them. And uh, I, this would have been, I think, in 2018. And I remember even back then, uh, your name would come up a lot. People would talk about your story. So, I mean, it, it really is, it's important to, in the name of your book, Love Lives Here, like those those kind of affirmations, I, I know you can probably, as somebody who uh, does a lot of media and stuff, um, 
there may be the sense that uh, you're, you know, repeating yourself or, or talking to wanting to talk about something else. But I mean, it's so important that we have this affirmation and the visibility to know for families that are going through this process that, uh, you know, your, your, your family's doing great right now. And that, that it, if we say that a billion times, it should be said probably a billion more times. Uh, I, I agree. I agree. Um, and, and I also try whenever I hear of other stories that are similar to ours in one way or another, um, I share those, too, because I think that it's really important that um, that families have that roadmap. Um, when our child came out, I remember, you know, going to the search engine and looking things up. And it was it wasn't that long ago, although, you know, c considering where we are, I think today, six years ago, seems like forever ago. And yeah. I was, you know, I was, I was looking at like my child is trans and, you know, uh, my boy feels like a girl and other things because I didn't really understand a lot yet. And, um, and what I got was, um, a really mixed bag. And most of it was actually quite sad. There was a lot out there of uh, a lot of stories about people who, you know, said, I, I thought my family was going to be supportive. They're pretty liberal thinkers. And I told them and they kicked me out of the house or they won't let me transition or, you know, uh, I'm really depressed now or I lost everyone. And um, and it was it was so disheartening. So I, those stories still exist. And these things, unfortunately, are still happening. So the more that we can get these positive stories out there, it gives people this idea of like, oh, okay, I, this isn't the end of the world. This is actually just a thing that some families go through. And I think now I'm, I'm trying also to really talk about being the partner of a trans person because I still hear from people all the time. And I want to say every day, but certainly several times a week, I hear from partners or whether they be the cis partner or the trans partner going like, help, help. I don't know what to do. There's nothing out there for me. Uh, there's nothing out there for us. There's no roadmap for us. Um, and, and so, yeah, I think it's really important that we, we talk about this stuff. Um, so people can see, you know, it doesn't have to spell the end of your marriage, the breakup of your family. And sometimes it does spell that. And you know, that happens, but it doesn't have to be the only option. Right. And I, I'm glad you brought all that up because this, I, I feel like over the past couple of years, a lot of the, ah, they, they use the word debate. I mean, it's just, it's kind of stupid. I don't really want to have more debates about, about whether transgender people exist. We all know that, obviously. It's a, it's so ridiculous. But um, the, people want to talk, uh, a lot of the discussions have kind of shifted more towards trans kids. I think a lot of people on the political right have kind of accepted the fact that, like, gay marriage is here, transgender rights, Neil Gorsuch in America, Supreme Court even reaffirmed trans rights. I mean, that's that's pretty, uh, that's not something that I think anybody would have imagined a few years ago, but a lot of these discussions have sort of shifted towards transgender children. There was even an article that the Trump campaign is, is sort of plotting anti-trans talking points to uh, energize their base. And these people, they discuss this concept of uh, transing children. So I have two questions that are kind of linked. They sound absolutely ridiculous because they are ridiculous, but I, I think it's important that we unpack this kind of stuff. So you had uh, your, your child came out at uh, 11. That would be Alexis, right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So Alexis comes out at 11. Before Alexis came out, you know, when you thought when you were younger, but even before you had kids, did you like in terms of a wish list for what you wanted out of life, you know, was was transgender child the number one thing that you just had to have on your your big wish list? <laughs> no, I mean, you know, what little uh, that that's a really funny question. You know, I, I talk a lot about this, too, and, and a lot about how like the all I knew about trans people was through the media. And as we know, what the media was portraying in the 80s and the 90s and the early 2000s when it involved trans people was horrible. No, absolutely not. That was not something that I was aiming for was to have a trans child. So al along those same lines, and this will be the final uh, question along this line of questioning. So Alexis comes out, sends you an email saying that, that they're, they're transgender. As soon as you read that email, did you grab them, uh, put them in the car, drive to your nearest pharmacy, plop them down on the counter and say, you know, give me all the hormones you got. Just <laughs> I need to be on the safe side. I need all of these and uh, let's get them transitioned quickly. We have no time to lose. This is just I don't even need to speak to a doctor. Let's, you know, chop, chop people. Yeah, just like right now. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, no. Uh, the first thing I did was panic. And uh, well, no. Well, yeah, I guess the first thing I did was panic. Then I was like, oh, okay, we need to go in and tell this kid that, you know, we love them no matter what. So that's, that's what we did. And then the next day I tried to figure out what the hell was happening because like I had no idea. So no, I, I know this is the idea, right? That like these super liberal minded parents, what they really want is attention. So like we create these trans children and then we run them out and get them hormones so we can parade them around in, I don't know, the media or the neighborhood or whatever it is for people. It, it's, it's such a misconception and it's a really dangerous one. That is not at all what happens. Yeah. Cause I mean, I, I, my horror, my process when I came out versus when I started, and I, I, I get really, I mean, a lot of these, a lot of these like troll comments or the stuff like their eye rolls and you kind of go on with your life. Like most of them, you've heard them before. If I get one, like if somebody makes like a funny joke about my name, sometimes I'll get like a chuckle. But I mean, it's it's most of it's like pretty mundane stuff. But I see like these 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 people who say, "Oh, there's this rush to to trans children." I'm like, hey, if you knew anything about this process, you would know it's slow as shit. Like this is not this is something that nobody you. It's a very slow process that requires a lot of thoughtful, concerned uh, care. It's, it's anything but fast. And, and with kids, I mean, I think they're even more careful because, um, you know, there's, there are a lot of eyes on, uh, on affirming uh, physicians and anyone who works with, with trans and gender diverse kids. So there, the, the amount of gatekeeping, people don't realize that. Like, it's not like we just strolled into the local hospital and we were like, okay, yeah, our child's trans. And then they said, are you trans? And she said, yes. And they're like, great. Okay. Let's just uh, give you some everything right now. It was it was years. It was, it was months and months of talking, even just to access blockers. And then it was, you know, two different doctors. We had to go through two, both, a both, a the, the doctor, um, you know, that we initially saw at the clinic and then the endocrinologist, both of them did their own assessments. Then we had to wait. She had to wait until she, you know, was, um, 14. And that's on the very early side for most kids to access, uh, estrogen. Right. And so it's just, it's just been a very long process and still she has to go in every few months. And I mean, I don't want to say make a case, but just let them know that everything is fine and this is still the right course and this is what she wants to do. Um, and that is going to probably be most of the rest of her life. This is not a simple, straightforward thing. Yeah. And I, I think that's also like, I, I always, when, when I hear stories like this, I, it, 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 there, there's so much that we want to improve with this system, and and yet at the same time, I mean, a, as the system stands now in 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 Canada, that that's one of the the better cases. There's all these horror stories of people like long wait times. We hear a lot about it in the UK. Um, you know, all of these hurdles that you have to jump through. Just and I mean, Alexis has has been out for a while, has has transitioned for a while. I, you, you, kind of something that we're been talking about lately is you know transitioning as like an active sense versus okay you know I, i'm kind of done with this i i have transitioned but um alexis has been on uh has, has been on hormones for a while and is doing is doing quite well i i i've heard right yeah i mean she you know i mean the thing is like i I sort of, once I got over my fears as a parent, what I realized was if we just affirm this kid, if we just, you know, believe them and, and, uh, and, and support them, then what we're going to end up with hopefully is a kid where being trans is, um, is just a part of who they are and the, and then, you know, but it's not their everything. And that is exactly what's happened. I mean, and, and so, you know, um, she's been allowed to just basically be herself and have a life. So she's, you know, she's starting college, um, in a few weeks and she's taking sound engineering, music engineering, and she's really excited and, and it hasn't stopped her. It hasn't slowed her down. She's got her whole life planned out. I love it. I love it. Uh, getting her license soon. I mean, all of these things are happening and, and it's just so much to celebrate. But if we had, 
decided that, no, this is not who you are. We're not supporting you. You're just confused, um, you know, and tried to do some awful type of conversion therapy, which is thankfully banned now in our province, but, but wasn't at the time, the amount of damage that we would have done to this wonderful kid, it, I don't even want to think about. Um, and she would not have the life that she has now. I, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And I know, so I, I remember when when uh, Alexis first came out as non-binary, I, I, I generally try to sty- shy away from reading uh, comment sections of basically anybody on Twitter, but uh, I know that there's a <laughs> lot of, yeah, it's, it's I, I, I'm kind of like on a Twitter break as of now. I've pretty much been using it only for brief replies or promotional stuff, but there's this big, I guess... I have a lot of theories for what what drives the uh, kind of centering of of trans kids as as a narrative right now. I, I you know there's the fact that it's not really as socially acceptable to go after trans adults anymore. Uh, I also think there's probably a lot to the idea that uh, a very young kid who who transitions goes on blockers early and then doesn't doesn't have to go through the wrong puberty uh, generally. Uh, it's very hard to tell that a person who's gone through that is actually trans. And I, I think that in a lot of the ways that people describe uh, transgender people, it's kind of like in a, in a, for lack of a better word, literally like a sub, subhuman level. So if you've got a kid who's got the best kind of care and, and goes through and is, is thriving, then they kind of, they lose their scary boogeyman in the closet to, to rail about. But then there's also the idea that if somebody were to come out as as trans, that that maybe they maybe they had maybe they'll regret it, or maybe they made the wrong decision. And um, to have a child who, you know, went 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 through the transition process and then later announced that they were non-binary, so some of those people could say, "Oh, you know, you did the worst thing in the world, giving this this affirmative care." But as I remind, as I remind, like as I thought about as that happened, I'm like, you know. This is transition is is a is a thing is a process all about comfort. So you know you, there's no there's no checklist for things you have to do to transition. And if your transition has given you the kind of comfort that allows you to kind of literally you know get on with your life, you know they're going to start college. They're you know being trans is not going to be the most important thing in Alexis's career. And I think about you know comfort really is the important thing here. Yeah. And I mean, I think there's also a lot of misconceptions um, and I got so many comments and and really interesting middle of the night emails uh, from people going, you know, oh, you know, your child is now trying to detransition. And, you know, now that you're in the media, they can't do it. And, and it's like that is the furthest thing from the truth. Literally everything has stayed the same name pronouns we've just added extra pronouns now that you know we sort of switch between every now and then she doesn't care which one we use uh, at least not now if that ever changes we'll we will be told trust me this kid has a voice and um everything transition related is staying exactly the same so i mean really all it was was just an you know a way to describe how she feels inside related to her own gender that's not up to me my job as a parent is to listen to my child, meet them where they're at and support them for who they are. And if they come to me and start saying something like, you know, well, I was thinking, and I feel like instead, you know, rather than, uh, you know, being a girl, I I really feel more on the non-binary side. Great. It was really such a non-issue in our house. But I mean, there are groups of people, as we know, who are actively looking for examples of what they would consider to be failure, um, where families have affirmed kids, we, you know, we, we've done everything we can to support them, and then these kids end up regretting it, having a terrible life, feel that they're ruined somehow. They're looking for that. So of course they jumped on me. Of course they did. That's just what they do. But it it was it really wasn't true, and it's still not true. So I mean, they can talk if they want to. We're still doing what we're doing and she's still on the same course. Yeah. I, I, I think, I, I think a lot about how there is, I like 
it's so tiresome to have people like are they're constantly guessing your motives and what you want. Like I'll get messages like you will never be a real woman woman. And it's like, well, you know, I've had a lot of surgery. I, my, my, you know, I, I'm pleased with my results of transition. I have a loving partner. I have a very nice life. Like I, I, I don't like those kind of message. Like they approach it kind of like from this angle of, you know, you're, you're, you're pursuing something that will, will never happen. It's like, you know, I, I did this process to get a, a better quality of life for me. And I, I, I got that. So that, that kind of like is my end goal out of that. Like, I don't, this, all, all of this, all of these current discussions over, I, like I, in, in England, they fight a lot over the phrase trans women are women. And it's like, is this, is this what we're reduced to? It's just, it's so absurd. Well, I know as a cis woman, I get so offended, you know, and as, as a, as a queer woman, I get offended. I'm just sort of like, stop weaponizing me, stop using that. And, and I mean, everything that seems to get used against trans women to somehow say that, you know, you're not women is something that, uh, some cis women also go through, right? Like, oh, you know, you don't have a uterus. Well, lots of cis women don't have a uterus either. Or, you know, you can't have babies. Well, a lot of cis women have infertility. I mean, it's just, it just, they just go on and on. And I hate being reduced to my biology like that. There's so much more to my womanhood than uh, what chromosomes I have, or, you know, whether or not I've had children or, or, you know, uh, breastfed or any of the things that they talk about it. It's ludicrous. Yeah. Oh, I'm glad I'm glad you mentioned that's a good way to segue to a subject that has come up uh, a, a fair amount on this show. And it's hard for me to even say the phrase without laughing. But uh, there's this concept of um, is, they call it le- le- lesbian erasure, which. Oh, is yeah. Like, <laughs> yep. It's like, it's like something out of Avengers Infinity War uh, Thanos, <laughs> like the snap, the lesbians are. are erased but like and, and for me like they they try to like weaponize this concept a lot i'll i'll get messages saying you're not a lesbian and i'll say well i'm bisexual i don't care like you're right i'm not a lesbian but like people who are attracted to trans women are are, are, are lesbians if if they identify as, as such and it, to see them like hurled at you it's it's so it's so absurd to see that that people like get so in in such a tizzy over policing somebody else's identity which it 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 part of it's funny but another part of it is very sad Oh yeah, there's there's so much insecurity there. That's what I'm seeing, right? I'm I'm seeing that. I, I relate it back to when I was a young mom, and I, I was really trying to measure up, and I didn't have a lot of confidence in myself. And I I remember comparing what I did or who I was to other mothers, and then deciding that you know they were either right or wrong. And if they did things like me, they were right, and if they didn't, they were wrong. And then you have to add in, of course, you know it's not exactly the same thing. You've got to add in all kinds of bigotry and all sorts of other things but I think you know every time somebody says to me like you're erasing me as a lesbian because you say you're a lesbian I'm like I don't know how that can even be a thing I I remember talking to an older lesbian um, you know from a generation or two back you know who was telling me that there was a time when if lesbians got together and had children they were shunned by certain other lesbians because, you know, that's something that straight people did. Like, I I just think this whole policing thing is absolutely ridiculous. And, um, you know, whether or not my partner is, is, um, trans or a woman or it, 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 to be frank, it doesn't matter who my partner is. Um, your sexual orientation, it, it has to do with you. I mean, when you think about the amount of people, you know, who uh, are in the closet for their entire lives, but are actually gay, that doesn't make them less gay because they were married to somebody of another gender. Um, right. You know, and I, I look at, uh, in my case specifically, I always knew I was a lesbian, always. And it was funny because when I met Zoe, we were really young. 
Um, and this was the first person that I perceived as male that I had any attraction to whatsoever. And I was just so enamored with that idea because in my mind, I couldn't come out. So if I could have attraction to, and I'm using air quotes, a guy, then I could go on to have like air quotes, a typical life sort of flying under the radar. Um, but that doesn't erase the fact that I was a lesbian and, uh, her coming out really just kind of busted open the closet door for me. And, uh, and I'm much happier, uh, being able to say who I am and own who I am. Uh, and no, no one's going to take that away from me, no matter how many times they want to yell at me about it. It doesn't change anything. So, and, and you've, you've spoken at some pretty big, um, LGBTQ conferences and stuff. When you're standing up in the stage talking about your life, you don't see like bits of people like floating into the abyss, erased, all of that. <laughs> that doesn't happen. A giant eraser comes down and erases yeah. like 20% of the audience. <laughs> that's a good, yeah, that's a good point. I haven't, I, I think somebody could make a lot of money like fundraising trans erase, erasers. <laughs> I know, seriously. Uh, no, no, so far. Uh, I, I, I happen to know a lot of other lesbians. Uh, I check in on them from time to time, especially during the pandemic. They're, they're still there. They, they still exist. I have not erased them. That's, that's great to hear. And um, I, you, I, I was thinking about earlier in the history of this podcast that has only been around for a year but we did um we did episodes that took a look at we did one in the uk looking at the state of trans rights there and then we did one in uh new zealand with uh kate spice and that was really great but uh we haven't done one with canada and i guess there there was I know that the U.S. and Canada have, have similar politics in certain ways, in certain, um, and it's very different in others. But um, what's like a big difference in the way that that trans rights is uh, uh, is covered in Canada that you've noticed? Um, probably people definitely more qualified to speak on this than me, but I will say that I mean we have um, federal rights for trans people here um, that came in not long ago, just a few years ago. And, um, and so that means that our Charter of Rights and Freedoms it, uh, reflects gender identity and gender expression as protected classes. So uh, before that, it was more of a patchwork. It was a lot like the U.S. where you had, you know, different provinces had different rules. And now it's just across the board and everybody has to follow it. Um, and then there are some provinces that maybe have tighter rules, um, you know, maybe uh, there's, you know, uh, uh, conversion therapy that sort of came in bits and pieces as well. So anti-conversion therapy laws, uh, you know, workplace laws, all of that is protected um, in pretty much everywhere now. But I mean, there are little loopholes still. Um, and but I would say definitely the thing is that we we do we have a general overall acceptance for trans people here, but it's not perfect. There's still transphobia. Uh, depending on where you live, it can be harder in some places than others. Um, but but I think overall it's it's been shown to be a fairly healthy and welcoming place for LGBTQ people in general and trans people, especially I, I think in, in certain areas. Yeah, I think that's kind of what I've, I, I mean, f for me, like the big, like I know there's some far right publications up there that are, spend a lot of time spewing hatred towards trans people, but um, whether it's the UK with the way that there's, uh, that transgender rights is covered there or here with some of the far right, I mean, th th thankfully things are a little better. Although Canada does, does uh, is home to, uh, uh, Ray Blanchard, the famous uh, sexologist who is very interested right now in the idea that anime is making people trans. And <laughs> oh, yeah. He's very, he's very interested in that. I, I've tried to tell him, like, I'm a big fan of Dragon Ball Z. I would love to, like, explore this idea with you. And he doesn't. He never responds, which is oh, upsetting. I know. He, he told me once that, like, uh, well, he, he posted something about um, how, how trans women can't find attractive people to date them. And I, I took yes, offense, yeah. honestly. I was like, what do you mean? Are you saying I'm not attractive? So I was like, oh, come on, Ray. I'm not that bad looking. And I posted a picture. He blocked me. Um, so I don't get to see wow. cool anime theories now, unfortunately. <laughs> well, so I'm glad you brought that up. So when I, I don't know if you know this, but there's this uh, somewhat well-known uh, fantasy uh, children's author who 
has become a big uh, she's taking a great interest to trans right it's funny too because you'd think you'd think uh she'd have some introspection because she had this character that had, had been a major character in the books and then after the books were written she said uh th- oh by the way this guy's gay and then there were movies featuring they weren't based off the same books but there were movies later and suddenly he's not gay again and i thought that was very odd but yeah um, yeah it was a little interesting yep so she had a tweet, J.K. Rowling, in this was well before the recent trans row. This would be in December wh- over the case of the uh, person, Maya Forstater, who was uh, they, they portray it as her being fired for her job. But she wasn't she wasn't rehired, I guess, is the more correct. Term yeah, like because, her contract wasn't renewed. Yeah. Yeah. So J.K. Rowling and there was an employment tribunal that was basically like, look, you're you're a transphobe. That's that's the general gist of what was said. And J.K. Rowling tweets uh, a tweet in support of her. And the line that really got to me and pissed me off, and I, I pointed it out at the time, but I think a lot of cis people or, or heterosexual people who don't uh, spend a lot of time with this issue may have overlooked it. It was a line that said, sleep with any consenting adult who will have you. Paints this kind of like picture of you know, trans people as, as like living on the fringes of society, the undateables. I've been in a relationship for like three years, but I remember what Tinder was like even early on in my transition. It, 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 it was not a, it was not like a ghost town. Like this, this conception that trans people can't get dates is so absurd. Yeah. I, I don't, I, I think, you know, transphobia runs so deep for people. And as a, you know, as a cis person who has spent a lot of time examining a lot of the systemic transphobia and like pulling it out of myself and holding it up to the light. And it's very, very uncomfortable, but I've had to do that because I have family members who rely on me. So I, I have to really make sure that I'm fully supportive and that I get it. But I think people say things like that and they don't, even realize that they're saying it. And that's not an excuse. You have to be able to look at stuff. And that was pointed out time and time and time again to her. Clearly that did not sink in because then we had a whole bunch of other tweets. But, um, you know, at, at the end of the day, there's a, there is this, this picture of trans people and in particular trans women seen as other. And, and that's, that's really unfortunate. I, I, I hate to say this because it, you know, it, <laughs> when I say I have transgender friends, it, it sounds like, you know, I'm the person who's saying I have black friends, but, but what right. I mean is like, I, a lot of my really good friends just through my family and through the work that we do and the talks that we give and stuff, I've met a lot of really wonderful trans people. Um, some of the most important women in my life, even outside of my family are trans women. I see no difference between them and me in, any way that really matters, except that they face more discrimination than I do, which is, well, that really matters a lot. But I just mean like, it's, it's a shame because there's really no need for it. They're wonderful, funny, intelligent, kind, incredible people. And we need to get over this idea as a society that there's something different about trans people. The, the, the only difference is that they didn't get the opportunity to um to be able to be themselves right from the start society placed you in like a a different role that didn't fit and other than that i mean you're just you're just amazing yeah and i i I think a lot of that you can kind of trace it back to the way that uh we we've been portrayed not in the media uh in fiction on screen we had sam fader the director of disclosure on in june to talk about this uh the the like, like the idea of a guy seeing a trans, a straight guy seeing a trans woman at a club, realizing that she was trans, and then spending any amount of time thinking, like, does that make me gay? I mean, that that whole process, like, that people go through, is, is at least in some part, maybe a major part, the product of a society that that constantly casts these these cis cis men into trans roles as as trans women. And sort of reinforcing all of these negative stereotypes when, like, in, in, in actual day-to-day life, I mean, this stuff, you can go out to the store and, 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 and live a very normal life. And it, it's, it's astonishing how uh, radical that once felt, like, maybe in my own life and stuff. And now it's just, like, not something I think about. But for people who don't 
deal with with trans issues, like the idea that 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 being attracted to a trans woman is, is some kind of like uh, just just referendum on their on their own sexuality is is very destructive and concerning and it, it's something that visibility has to change yeah i i think um that's i mean and, and that's part of why the reason that i you know i don't back down when when people are like you're not a lesbian i'm like well no i am um and my partner is a woman and she's an amazing beautiful woman um and you know they're trying to peg me as straight and it's like um there's no way I could be straight and be with Zoe. She, there's absolutely no way. She is like, she's like woman all the way through. That is just who she is. And there's, there's, it's impossible. Um, and so I think that uh, we, we really need to get past again, this idea of, of othering and hopefully that will happen. I think, I think documentaries like disclosure are really going to help and just sort of bringing this stuff to the surface. Um, you know, and just again, seeing more examples, seeing more examples of just like happy, average people uh, living their happy, average lives who happen to be trans or raising a trans child or with a trans person or whatever it may be. I think that just the normalization, it, it, it takes a while, but it is happening. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. I, you know, I, I, I we, we follow each other on Twitter. I, I, I see your tweets. Um, Sometimes I, I just the shit that people say to you is 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 very uh, heartbreaking, and um, as as somebody like there have been a couple of times in in my career as a critic where I've I've taken stances and uh, like uh, when I, I wrote a review of Dave Chappelle's most recent, which was just like something out of like the eighties in terms of transphobia, the comparisons he was making, and I was just pointing out like look. This is not funny, and you know people can say, "Oh, that's your your opinion or whatnot." I'm a, I mean, I'm a critic. That's my job to to give the opinion. But for like two straight weeks, I got nothing nothing but like abuse on every. I even got LinkedIn messages about it. Pinterest, I think, was like my only clean social media that wasn't being covered in abuse. And I I was able myself to to laugh. I, a lot of times, I was laughing at, at it. I would just turn my phone off. I didn't re I didn't really care. And I thought some of it, like the Stephen Crowder, who also is Canadian, uh, he was attacking me. Um, and yet, like, I've thought a lot about how, you know, for, for, for you, you're in a totally different position. You're a mother, uh, you're a wife, uh, and, and a lot of times these people aren't just attacking you personally. They're attacking your whole family, which is a totally different position. Yeah, it, I, I mean, that's the hard part about having uh, work, like the, the, the work that I do and um, and my family so closely linked. Um, it, right. it is, you know, when you're when you're sort of a personal essayist and an author who writes, you know, memoirs and and that sort of thing. I mean, it just it just, you know, and, and an advocate, it just kind of all goes together. Um, I, you know, I don't really, for the most part, care what people say about me. Um, it, it bothers me when they start attacking my family. There, there was a, there was a time, for example, when, um, you know, a bunch of, uh, gender critical people went after Alexis and they made fun of everything about her. Um, and, and that made me really angry. I was like, you know, you're picking on a child. I think she was, I think she was 16 at the time. And I was like, yeah, how dare you? You're, you're grown adults. Um, and you know, there was another time that, that, uh, Jackson, who's now 13, but you know, he, he had limited access to social media, thankfully, um, when he was younger and, uh, somebody sent him hate mail, you know, sent us all hate mail, but sent him hate mail. Um, <laughs> you know, awesome. like, wow, you actually wrote out a piece of hate mail to my child, like my young child. That's disgusting. You found him and sent him hate mail. Wow. Um, and so like when those things happen, it, it does upset me. Uh, but my kids, I mean, they're so resilient. Uh, and, and that's sort of part of the reason two people are like, well, Amanda, I, I you know, um, you're, you're a cis person and yet you're kind of at the forefront of your family talking about, you know, your, your partner's transition and your child's transition. But here's the thing. They want 
our story as a family told. They want the story of an LGBTQ family that happens to have two trans people in it and, uh, and you know, a cis lesbian and et cetera, et cetera. They want that told. They don't want to be at the forefront of it. So they have put me at the forefront. This is, this is a decision that we've made as a family. Uh-huh. So I'm not like here to take over. I'm just here to tell this story, right? But it also does protect them a little bit because then it comes through me and they don't see a lot of it. I that yeah that it reminds me of I, I was commenting on I think it was like a Twitter thread for the uh, the Reddit Am I the asshole the which some of them have got to be fictitious but uh, there was a trans one and I I weighed in providing a trans perspective and um, there were some comments from people and one of them said like you know it's not your job as a trans person to do the advocating. We, uh, you know, it should be our jobs, you know, your job should be to live your life and the rest of us should, um, you know, take up, take up the slack for you, which is, it's kind of reminiscent of, uh, in Lord of the Rings at the end when Frodo can't carry the ring anymore and Sam's like, I can't carry the ring, I'll carry you. And like, that's a very, uh, inspiring thing. And yet at the same time, like, I, I think to myself, like, you know, it, it would be great if all of us had, uh, Amanda's in our lives to go do the fighting but like uh for me personally I like I I like to be at the forefront but I I I also understand the uh you know the the unique situation of your family because like this this show in particular it's it's got a transgender name uh but we only cover trans issues probably 15 to 20 percent of the time and the rest of the time I I prefer generally to talk about films and stuff unless i can get a guest like you who brings like so much to the table but like it's such an interesting dynamic to like think about advocacy versus the 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 notion of your family telling your story is so valuable to not i was about to say to the national discourse it's really the global discourse because you are not an american you're a canadian (laughs) um i i just i just think that um you know, it's really important as a cis person that I know my place and my place is definitely not to be at the forefront of, of trans issues. My, I'm, you know, I'm behind, behind the lines, uh, just providing a different perspective. And, and so that's, that's where I don't want to be anywhere else. I don't want to be at the front. I don't want to be in charge. I don't want to, you know, make decisions on behalf of the trans community or speak for the trans community. Um, but I also think that there needs to be a voice for partners, for cis partners who are going through a transition uh, with their trans partner. And, uh, and, and there are very, very few of those. Uh, and there needs to be a voice for parents who are looking for affirming models in, in other families. And so if we don't have that, I'm really worried about family units when somebody comes out because, um, because the cis people need examples too. And so, um, you know, there's that same when a family, you know, when a person transitions, the whole family transitions. And in a way that right. is true, like it, it is. I mean, it's it's we all go st- we all go through it. Our it, it, it naturally the trans person is going through the most. But, you know, I then had to step out of the closet, too. I you know, I mean, if I was going to stay in a partnership, I had to come out because otherwise, wh- what am I doing here? Um you know, as a parent, I had to go to the schools, I had to go to the doctors, I had to go to the dentist, I had to make sure that everybody was going to be respectful, use the right names and pronouns, that everyone knew her rights, you know, and so we need to be able to have those conversations too, and be able to, um, uh, to, to demonstrate what that looks like, so that we can keep more and more families together, and then improve the lives of trans people. So I'm aware, I I know you get a lot of messages from uh, trans people, I, I would assume probably from a fair amount who are in the closet. I get a lot from people who are uh, in the closet. And I, I, I think it's important to, to reply to them and help them out You can uh, any way you can. I know I got support coming out from people, just messaging, even with... Uh, with uh, when it came to like bottom surgery, there's only a, a handful. So you tend to, you ask somebody, did you have this surgeon? And they're like, no, I know somebody did here. Let me connect you. And then, you know, you're talking about vaginas with somebody. You don't have any, any idea <laughs> of, uh, 
who they uh, you you've you've never met them and yet here you are talking about that. That's that's kind of the way it goes. But um, so for for people, I know this this show gets a lot of listeners who are uh, either in the closet or trying to make baby steps toward their transition. Or do you, do you have advice for how to handle the the family dynamic, which? We, I, I'm reminded, uh, we had an episode the other day, uh, the other day being like two months ago, um, uh, <laughs> coronavirus time, time <laughs> yeah, doesn't exactly. exist anymore, but, uh, we had the filmmakers, the directors and stars of Jack and Yaya, and we got into of this, uh, it's a new narrative about two, uh, young or two, two lifelong friends who are both trans and, we're talking about coming out and all five of us shared these really cringy coming out stories. And I'm like, you know, if it's really cringy and it's horrible and you hated all of that, that could be a good one. But I'm sure you have a lot of advice to, to potentially give uh, families as to how to handle this territory, which is generally speaking for a lot of people uncharted when they first venture into it. Yeah, it, it really, <laughs> speaking from experience, definitely. So I think like one of the things that I get a lot of trans people asking me this, like a lot of people, again, like you were saying, people in the closet, people going like, I want to come out to my family and I don't know the best way to do it. And so um, I always remind people like, this is something that you've probably known for years and years and years about yourself. Um, whatever you're saying is probably going to be brand new information to the person you're telling. And so their initial reaction might not be their best self. <laughs> I think that's really right. important. I responded, um, horribly when my wife came out to me and I already knew, uh, most of my, I guess, trans 101 at that point, because I had a trans child. Um, but it was just, it was, you know, uh, it came out of nowhere. I, I asked, I asked the right questions, I guess. And then she told me and, um, I, I was not in a good place with that initially, but it doesn't mean I'm not supportive, right? I feel terrible, uh, about reacting the way that I did. And it was just pure shock. Um, but immediately, you know, I wish that I could take those words back and that I, I could have, you know, just responded with, with much better words. Um, but so what I, what I try to tell people is like, if you can somehow create a buffer between you and the person you're telling, if you suspect that they may not have the best reaction initially, that protects you because once we say something, we being cis people, that is not the best response, you know, it's done. And you can't take that time back. Uh, you can't take that moment back. So write in an email or a letter um, where you remind the person, this is what our, this is what our child did, right? Like she at 11 years old, sent us an email. It was the best thing ever. And in the email, so the email came out of nowhere, the news came out of nowhere, but, but she also said in the email, please take some time to think about this. And when you are calm, come into my room and talk to me. That is genius. So that's what we did. We were able to get like our initial sort of like, oh my God. Oh, oh wow. Oh, that's big. I don't know what this means. Oh no. Right. Like all of that initial shock and, and the look on my face, she never saw that. And so by the time we went into her room and she was obviously in a very vulnerable place, she was crying in her bed and sobbing. We were able to show nothing but love. So yeah, I would definitely say either an email or a letter, or sometimes it's good to have a really affirming, supportive person tell other family members or friends for you if you think that would be better. Like I told my parents about Alexis, I told my parents about Zoe. And again, that created a buffer. And then by the time they saw Alexis and Zoe, um, they were able to be really supportive and have their heads wrapped around the whole idea. I, yeah, I think that's that's great advice. I because for me personally, I, I I came out, told some friends, didn't tell a lot of friends, and then I kind of I, I I came out online and I was like, okay, I'm done. I really don't need to discuss this that that much anymore. But you do need to give and I guess with 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 some of that, I I think about how when I first came out and it was a lot of like people telling me they were like okay with me being trans or they were accepting and now like years later when i hear that i'm like well thank you for saying the unsaid you didn't need to tell me that you're okay with me being trans again in fact i would prefer if you didn't and i know some people have uh, a lot of different uh, opinions about that but um i think i think it is an important reminder that that 
you know, you can, you can try to tell people about all the ways that they can like be supportive, but you've got to be being trans or being LGBTQ uh, more broadly is, is kind of an exercise in, in grace as the, as the cringe flows in. <laughs> it's so true. And it's also an exercise in so many ways of sort of coming out over and over again for the rest of your right. life. Because I mean, even, you know, for me, I still get things like, oh, what does your husband do? Right. And then I have to say, oh, I don't have a husband. Actually, I have a wife. And then there's that that like split second where I am watching everyone within earshot to see, you know, what they're going to do next. Is it awkward? Is is there an awkward pause? Does anybody kind of like get that look on their face? Anything like that? generally speaking, no, but there's always that worry that I didn't really have before, right? There's that sort of like that, that loss of, of privilege that I used uh-huh. to have where everyone just sort of assumed, oh yeah, cishet, right? Um, and so it's, it's, it's like a very different thing, but yeah, I mean, it, it is, it's, it's, it's an exercise in grace uh, because I've had people say that too. Um, and I hate relaying this back to myself because I know it's not exactly the same thing, but we're like, oh yeah, I don't, I don't have a problem with gay people. Okay, cool. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and what, what am I supposed to do with that? Like, yeah. uh, wow, I'm really grateful. Like, <laughs> I mean, you shouldn't have a problem with gay people. That 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 should just be something you don't need to say at all. <laughs> but thanks. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Once upon a time, that was like a kind of like reaffirming thing to say. But like now, it's kind of like cringy. I'm remind. I would be remiss. My um, my father, who is a big uh, trans ally loud lgbtq uh supporter he got a trans flag for his boat but uh he's a follower uh, of yours and uh we were we were home i was on the east coast and uh he just like said he was like well how's how's amanda knox doing i want to say like that she's a like big big ally of the trans community i don't know her personally but uh, he's a fan (laughs) of yours i think sometimes people do think that they know yeah they know me. So like, I don't know how she's doing, but I hopefully will. <laughs> That's so sweet. Well, hello to your dad. And, um, and, and yeah, you know, it's so funny. I, I never, ever, I, I, I think people see me that way because that is the way that I just, I'm like, how I am with you right now is how I'm going to be around the table when we get together with, you know, for dinner with friends, which is so new and weird, but we're doing that on a patio later. Um, you know, it's how I am with my kids, how I'm with everybody. And so I think that just sort of comes through. I don't really have like a, like a business persona (laughs) much to some people's dismay. I'm just, I'm just me all the time. That's just who I am. So I wanted to um, – another topic I wanted to talk about as, as, as we uh, enter into the home stretch. Uh, uh, you and Zoe recently adopted uh, your second daughter, fourth, fourth child, Ashley. Um, and I know a lot – there's so many people out there, as LGBTQ couples, who uh, – you know, the, the very notion of a – Adoption is uh, considered politicized in a lot of states, and there's a lot of extra hurdles that LGBTQ couples have to go through. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that process? Um, yeah, we're we're really lucky because um, you know we so instead of the uh, I can't remember what you have, but the Department of Social Services or whatever, we have uh, the CAS, the Children's Aid Society, up here in Ontario. Uh, the CAS is uh, divided into different areas. So there's one for Ottawa in the area, and they are um, right, very LGBTQ friendly. And so we did not face any extra hurdles at all adopting. The story of the, of the adoption, um, for those who don't know, so uh, when Alexis was in middle school, which for us is uh, grades uh, seven and eight, um, she was sitting with a little group of friends and this girl walked in and was really kind of, you know, unsure. And, uh, Alexis saw that she was feeling lost and said, Hey, why don't you come and sit with us? Um, and they became like best friends. They became really, really close. Um, and then a few weeks later, Ashley, uh, she was in a foster home and it didn't work out. So she was moved across the city to, uh, to a group home. And then she moved across the country to try living with a relative. And the whole time the kids kept in touch. Uh, and when she came back to Ottawa, she was 15 
And uh, there was a lot of talk about making her a crown ward, which basically means that she would be a ward of the state and then she would age out of the system. And that just didn't sit right with any of us. So um, we we made plans to adopt her. So it took um, it took a little while. We had to we you know, we went through a couple of home studies, one to have her move in with us and then one to finalize the adoption, uh, different court dates, et cetera, et cetera. But ultimately, it was a smooth process as far as um, qualifications. What they were looking for is um, it didn't so matter. It didn't. It didn't so much matter who we are. It more mattered, you know, like it had, you know, how do you deal with things in your life? How do you deal with hardships? How do you deal with, uh, like, what, what's what's your level of resiliency? What what is it? That, you know, because kids in the system unfortunately often have a lot of trauma and a lot of you know uh, issues that they that they come with. And, um, and so are you able to meet that head on as parents? And, um, thankfully Zoe and I have both been through a lot and our family was in a really good place and still is in a really good place. So in January, uh, about six months before Ashley's birthday, where she turned 18, so she's 17 at the time, we finalized the adoption. So she actually technically did not age out of the system and she's, uh, she's our kid for life. And how is well that i mean that's so wonderful to hear but um how, how are how are you all surviving the coronavirus in a big packed house yeah <laughs> i know there's this this rumor that i'm somehow really wealthy because i wrote a book um bad news Can, uh, canada lit is just not where the money is um and we don't have a big house um and uh we we had to build an extra bedroom because our, our son, who's 23, moved back home during the pandemic. He lost his job and he moved back home. So we now have all four kids aged 13 to 23 in the house. Um, we all get along pretty well. I mean, it's, you know, it sometimes feels squished, but it's not the end of the world. I think winter's going to be a little harder with six of us in, uh, in this space, but we'll make, we'll make do. We, we got this. So you, you you mentioned uh, book royalties. So just to clarify, the royalties of of Love Lives Here alone were not enough to save the uh, world's world's largest bookstore that was in Toronto. I remember I was in. Uh... <laughs> yeah, I forget, no. yeah, I forget the street because I, I I remember. So my mother's side's Canadian, and I we would go up. I'd usually accompany my grandfather. And he would say to me, because the back when the exchange rate was, uh, I guess the exchange rate, I, I don't know the current exchange rate, but um, when I was younger, we'd go into a toy store and he'd say like, look, a dollar back home is $2 here. So literally buy, it's the only time, like buy everything you want, like get everything. <laughs> we, yeah. We'd go. Yeah, we'd go into a bookstore and he'd say, this doesn't apply. Books are more expensive here. And that's just the weird reality of America, Canadian publishing. I know. I know. It, it's, it's, it's like that for a lot of things here. It's more expensive. And I'm like, that's not fair. And then, you know, if I bring my kids down to target in New York, I'm like, don't buy anything. Right. <laughs> total opposite, total opposite. Um, yeah, no, I mean, uh, what, what, what money I have made off the book, which hasn't been that much, I have put towards Alexis's college tuition. That's that's where it's going. Um, and uh, no, I mean, you know what? This book it was a it was a labor of love. I didn't write it for money. Um, I didn't write it for to get uh, quote unquote famous. Um, you know, honestly, that <laughs> that what I do for a living does not attract uh, a lot of positivity you know it's, it's it's not an easy job and uh and so no I didn't do it for that I did that I did it because it was a story that we wanted to tell as a family and um it's been out for a year now and I have heard so many amazing things from people about the book uh it has it has helped people come out um it has um apparently helped save lives and it has helped keep marriages and families together and I mean what more could I ask for that any amount of money would pale in comparison to that. Yeah, I really, I can't recommend the book enough because, um, I mean, I feel like I've, I, I forget exactly when I, it's, it's been a couple of years, but um, you're such a strong, uh, positive voice in the face of, I mean, it's, it, it, it's astonishing how it's 2020. I came out in 2016. It's astonishing about how, like, it's just these, I, I, I want to know if the trolls on Twitter, because I don't 
think there's like that that many of them as much. Like I, I the the uh, followers of a certain uh, Irish comedy writer, they tended to all be the same usual suspects who would pop up in my feed. Um, but it's it's so heartwarming to see the even like you get you post a lot of like you know just snippets conversations of of your family and your your day-to-day life and even that kind of stuff just brings kind of a simple smile and you're you're reminded that yeah the, you know we we go on these big journeys of self-discovery or, or like in your case with um you know two of your two through your family going through transition, uh, you're you're brought along for their ride, and then also for your own ride. There's a lot of rides of of self discovery, and um, I guess my question in all of that muddle is sort of, I, I, I hate asking questions that are so uh, broad and and tough to tackle, but like sort of your your big takeaway from this big long adventure, which of course, as I ask it, is obviously not over. So big takeaway <laughs> from all. I don't, yeah, that's this butchered butchered question no it's a great question i mean i I could answer it so many different ways but i think i'll sum it up um by saying that i was somebody who was always so afraid of change and of standing out in any way of uh of having an opinion on anything um you know i just wanted to blend into the background and what i've learned is that uh clearly my family wasn't going to blend into the background and um and that you know, there was a story here that needed to be told. And that if I'm going to, one day I'm going to leave this world and, you know, I need to leave it better for uh, my kiddo and um, all of the other trans and non-binary and gender non-conforming kids out there. They need to have safer families and they need to have uh, homes to live in and schools to go to where they can feel safe and, you know, medical professionals who will listen to them and affirm them. Um, and so, yeah, I, I just, I think if anything, I've learned to embrace change and use my voice and I've gotten knocked down a number of times. And, uh, what I've learned too, is that I can get back up again. And, uh, and so it's done, it's been a gift in itself that way. I've, I've realized that I have strength and resiliency that I didn't know I had before and if not for all of these changes in my family, I would have never known. So I'm really grateful for that. Yeah, it's it's so it's so important that that you say that that you you reaffirm it because just the you could just you could go on Twitter right now and there's all this this apocalyptic doomsday scenarios of trans kids. And I know like in in ten years ago, people would say, oh, if we allow gay people to get married. People want to marry their goat or their, you know, their kitchen table or something. And I, you know, you can. There's plenty of Fox News snippets of people actually saying nonsense like that. And I often like just in casual conversation to people, I say, "Hey, do you remember when people used to say that about gay people, and then it didn't happen? Remember that?" And people are like, <laughs> "Why would you? Why would you bring that up?" It's like because we shouldn't forget how stupid that was. And in ten years' time, or however long it takes. Uh, we'll look back on all of this, and we shouldn't forget how stupid these people are. I, I don't know. That's that's that's. Oh yeah, I, I have I have visions of you know somebody opening up, um, you know, finding old news articles from their grandmother after she passes, and being like, "What grandma was? Grandma was a turf, right?" Like, I just, <laughs> oh no, she's on the wrong side of history. Like opening a textbook one day, you know, uh, on like. And there's transgender history in there. And they're like, oh, no, there's grandma and grandpa. Right. Like, I, I think that that we're going to see that we're going to see that. And and people are going to feel bad. They're going to feel ashamed of what they're doing. It's just going to take some time for them to realize it. I, I mean, at least I hope I hope that they feel that way. But they're definitely on the wrong side of history. I, I'm, yeah, I was just about to, I, you know, I wonder if in 20 years time, J.K. Rowling will uh, look at history and wonder if the side she was on with her, you know, with uh, Graham, Graham Linehan and some other people, if that was uh, worth it. But, uh, you know, that that story is still being told and uh, your, your family story is still being told. And that's uh, so great. And uh, I, I, you know, I, I recommend everybody... If you're at home listening to this podcast, uh, hopefully you were scrolling through Amanda's tweets during this episode because they're really fun and you're you're an important uh, figure of you. You bring a lot of uh, levity to this discussion and rationalized uh, 
opinions and your you know i i'm i'm so grateful you're somebody i've wanted to have on the show for a while i'm so glad we were able to sync up and uh thank you so much amanda for for coming on well thanks so much for having me this is a great talk i i want to do like another three hours it was fantastic i know yeah it's always it's that's that's the great uh there's so many, so many different topics to talk about. But uh, if you, if you're, uh, if you've liked uh, what Amanda's had to say, um, and if you didn't like it, then you should rethink that opinion because I think that would be a terrible opinion. Um, you <laughs> should get Amanda's, uh, you should get Amanda's book, uh, "Love Lives Here," which uh, goes into so much detail. And uh, like, I, I feel like I know members of your family, and I don't know them. I've never spoken to them, so the, I think that's, uh, you know, the power, the power of, of your voice. Awesome. Thank you. And to everybody listening, uh, thank you so much. We will see you next time. (laughs) 